Well, and to be honest, you're you're a little worried. You're I am. You're a little worried about the reaction here. I am. I think people are going to hate me. It's a, it's a sight like a... The horror genre boxes really spoke to me. I mean, everyone can remember <laughs> the, that great Arnold boxes. Yep. One of my favorite songs from one of my favorite bands. That's one, you know, I just hear that riff, and it's like, all right, we're rocking. I know that you love it. We're rocking. Start me up. The Rolling Stones opening up the Fright Club podcast. Welcome in. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And we are from MadWolf.com. Got a special guest this week to help us count down our favorite openings in horror movies. But uh, before that, we have to say a great big thank you to the great crowd. We had a great time last Fright Club Live for Bone Tomahawk. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. And a really fun one to see on the big screen. I mean, and it was, it was gorgeous. And it was great to get the reactions of the people that were there that had not seen it. Yes. I think they were, because it's a thing, is it lulls you into believing you're watching just a regular uh, Western, and then all of a sudden they turn the deputy upside down and you go, no, 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 no. <laughs> this yeah. is a horror film. Yeah, I kind of got the feeling that, because, you know, it's, it's a longer movie. Mm. You know, it's got a running time to it. And I kind of got the feeling that as we're going along that, you know, they're wondering, like we said, okay, when, what's what's going to happen here? And then <laughs> boom! And you can just kind of feel it. Oh! Yeah. That's, Yikes! That's what they're talking about. Yes. So, yeah, that was a, that we was a great We did get some time. comments I want to point out. Wiener, Matt Wiener, who writes for us, he's half of Wiener Cat unofficially. Hashtag Wiener Cat. He was sorry that because ravenous we counted on the best horror movies uh, western mashups and ravenous was number two and he right. he was really disappointed that we hadn't mentioned the genuinely brilliant score in that uh, movie ravenous, and it's true, yeah. we had not done that um and then a couple people posted really lovely things afterwards shred van winkle had this long really wonderful piece about the movie itself yeah, that, that he posted nice, on columbus yeah. that was really great and then richard also had a very thoughtful piece on the same movie that he put up post-screening so i just wanted to point that out they were great reads really kind of dove into it yeah and, and really took what expressing what they took from the movie so right. yeah I, I agree those were nice and our friend letitia pointed out that her husband is not a big horror fan apparently but he is a big western fan so she's excited because now she's got this set of five movies that they can watch together so that's cool well then about what nine months or so from now if there's a little one that's going to be named either george <laughs> or hope because we set that mood down in Texas. Yeah. If t- Bone and Tomahawk <laughs> sets that mood, there's something seriously wrong with you. Well, there's bone in the title. <laughs> <laughs> you knew I had to get a bone reference oh in there somehow. We had to. But yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. So uh, really quickly, our next Fright Club Live is going to be on Valentine's That's Day. That's right. And speaking of setting the mood. <laughs> yeah, this is... Sex and Death. That's right. Sex and Death is going to be the podcast topic, and we're going to show a really great French horror film called Trouble Every Day, which is quite disturbing and hard to watch. Well, and to be honest, you're you're a little worried. You're I am. a little worried about the reaction here. I am. I think people are going to hate me. I do. <laughs> I do. I, I don't know why. I, I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a really well-put-together movie. It's very disturbing. It has some great performances. It has some slow parts, and then when it gets to the sex and death part, you're like, Gah! And I'm still working on I haven't come up with a song for that yet, so uh, we got we got some work to do mm-hmm. on those. But that's down the line. Today we're talking about the best openings, our favorite openings in horror movies. And you asked for suggestions on Twitter, and you got some good ones. So let's just run through them. First of all, Rachel Willis, who also writes for us, not part of Wiener cat just uh, another part of the mad wolf pack rachel willis she, her vote was for the thing which is a great vote it is yeah it's a good one yeah i love that one we got uh kaya who had a bunch 28 days later mm-hmm. the shining raw get out 
Those are all solid. Jocelyn, Jill, and Monty all voted for Scream. Yeah, that, that was, was probably the biggest yeah, vote getter. I, I figured that was going to get a lot of votes. Yeah, that's popular. AJ Halloween and Silas Jaws. Yeah, those are so solid. those were yeah solid. Those are solid. So everybody, thank some you. Some of those will make it, by the way. Right, and some will not. Right, still very worthy. So yeah, thanks to everybody that chimed in on that at Mad Wolf on Twitter as always. So we'll get to the ones that we like. We get to the ones that our special guest likes. Welcome, Brandon Thomas, one of the Fright Club regulars. Thank you. Hello. Glad to have you here, and you're also a big part of Columbus, Columbus Horror on Facebook, that Facebook group, Mm -hmm. always talking about your favorites in horror. And, you know, I think when I and we read your comments, you've got a long history of loving and appreciating horror movies, so we thought you'd be a good choice. And not just horror, I think, because he tweets a lot about just movies in general. That's true. And, of course, he went with us to see The Last Jedi before it opened and had some some fascinating thoughts about that as he drove our lazy asses back to Columbus. (laughs) Thank you, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I noticed you were really, you were milking that on Facebook, like, somebody just saw it already. (laughs) It was hard. It was really, really hard. I I can't keep a secret. (laughs) Well, I think we invited you because we knew how much you'd appreciate it. So, and I did. You know. Thank you again. Yeah, you are welcome. All right. So we're talking about best horror openings. We both have lists. Uh, there was a little bit of cross-pollination. You know, we have some. That they're not in the same order, though, right. as Brandon's list is our list. But, but one of the things that Brandon and I were talking about just before we started taping, this could easily have been a top 10 and probably maybe should have been a top easily. 10. I mean, there are so many great ones that didn't make the list just because we tried to narrow yeah. it down. We did fuzzy math. It's six, but yeah. we it's... As, as you could tell from some of those suggestions on Twitter, those are all good. All yeah. good. Well, part of it, I think, is that is that in horror, it's become almost mandatory that you open with a prologue that... Yeah sets the hook so i you know you're gonna find this is more of an important element in a horror movie than in any other kind of film yeah yeah so definitely it could have been a top 10 we've already got the top six for us brandon stuck to the rules thank you (laughs) first and only time probably (laughs) (laughs) and did a top five so before we get into those quickly a couple you wanted to mention a couple that didn't make the list but we want to Talk right, about. right so one of the ones and i really wanted to try to fit it in here because i just do love this opening Zombieland. Yeah. it's such a funny and gory way to open and with yeah. the, he's setting the rules with just these you know uh, images of, of of zombies killing people because you need cardio get <sighs> up on your cardio you know just a lot of different things i thought that was a really really and it's clever a perfect it's a perfect tone setter for the entire movie this, this exactly is what this is how we're going to treat this right. and yeah. yeah i agree with you i loved it it's a super fun one and then the one i really wanted just to talk about i knew it wasn't going to make the list particularly because it's not really a horror movie but it's my favorite genre opening it's a rear window oh, it's the best it's so opening great. just this pan through basically the windows of the, yeah. again like you say setting the tone this is what the whole movie is going to be like is you just this voyeurism of you watching out this window of all these different people the camera work is so spectacular it is, it, it is. it's just another moment of hitchcock genius and we got to mention every time i think of rear window i think of the time we took our son to see rear window right. at on the on the big screen right. one of the local theaters was showing it when he was how old was he seven or eight and when he got to the finale spoiler alert that, ha- <laughs> that has to do with the old time flash, flash bulbs. bulbs he had no idea what was going no, on and, and so he was mad about it he's yeah. like well just out of nowhere there is these exploding and like wow how could we know that would happen we're like oh no it's actually it's a, a brilliant flash bulb. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah, brilliant exactly <laughs> So, yeah, although he did appreciate the movie very he much. Does. And, yeah, he did. Yeah. He liked it a lot. It's so great. You're right. That's a great opening. Well, uh, so then before we actually get to what our number six is. Right. So I sent Brandon uh, a set of, of like the long list. Like these are the 10 or 15 that I'm I'm starting with. And then I narrowed it down. And I sent him the top six. 
and then I sent him a new top six, <laughs> and then I never <laughs> sent him the final top six because I I changed it a lot. We had like four we or like five movies. Yeah, I like surprises that yeah. that could have been the number six again, which is why this should have been a top ten. So here are the movies that were at one point or another positioned at number six. Twenty eight days later, right with the sort of eco terrorists and mm-hmm. the chimpanzee scene. Oh my god, Black Sunday. A classic Mario Bava. And and that really was, that was number six for a long time because we have never had a Mario Bava movie on yeah, one of our countdowns. Right, and right. I thought it was high time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scream. I'm going to just get that out of the way right now because y'all can just be pissed that Scream <laughs> did not make my final list. And I, not, I understand it. Not that you don't appreciate no, it. No, I right. think it's brilliant. These were all at one point or another the number six. But we finally, I finally settled with a lot of cajoling actually from you. Yeah. So all the times that George complains that he doesn't get to weigh in on what the movies that make this list, I'd like you to know the reason that this is number six, number six is that George finally cajoled me into it. Yeah, but only because it was fuzzy math. Yes, if and it was going to be five, it yeah. wouldn't have made it. It would have it lost out to number five, which I don't like. <laughs> We'll get to that. So, number six, thank you, I appreciate it, because I love this opening. It's from the 2004 remake of Dawn of the Dead. Vivian, honey, sweetie, are you okay? Oh, God. Oh, fuck. Talk about a tone setter. I just love this for so many reasons. You're right away, you're plunged into the what the fuck is going on. You mm-hmm. just wake up and your child named Vivian, who, I know. you know, is, a, is an, our niece is named Vivian. So we're like, wait, no, Vivian can't do that. <laughs> but yeah, you're just, you wake up and you're in this house of horrors. And so all the things that go on in the house. And then I also love once she gets outside, the panoramic oh, yeah. view of the neighborhood is just the, the, push over the cliff for me. I love it. Uh, yeah, I love a lot of things about this. It's the, the very, very beginning. She's at work still at the hospital. So they do a couple things. They introduce that there is something amiss with the, the health of the neighborhood, right? And then they also introduce one of the rare, real problems George Romero has, especially in his early dead series, is female leads. He has these very weak female leads and so they have made that correction immediately with sarah polly she's a great actor first of all Mm -hmm. and she she just does a a really amazing job and then she gets into a car to go home and they do the first panorama uh this aerial shot of her and her car listen to the song have a nice day which is another Zack snyder i am not a fan except this movie he's so (laughs) great and one of the things he does so well through the entire film is the way he sets in the soundtrack the soundtrack is so wickedly perfect in this movie so then, she, yeah, she goes home. She sees her little neighbor, Vivian, skate, skating backwards. You know, it's all very realistic and well acted. And then it turns on a dime. And then you're right. It ends with her just shocked expression as she's looking at people on fire and yeah. people running with guns and the neighbor pointing a gun at her. And then, the you know, the the aerial shot again to just conclude the opening. It's brilliant. It's perfect. It's such a rush of adrenaline is what the, you know, yeah. the movie does. Is it, it just it's one of those first, you know, horror films that really doesn't let you catch your breath right yeah. at the very beginning of it. You know, just it's almost like an action film in a way. You know, you're just like, oh, you know, you're so pumped through the whole opening of that movie. There's explosions. You know, like you said, there's people on fire, people getting their throats ripped off. Right, right. I mean, the running zombies. That's the other yeah, thing, right? That's yeah. what they introduce in this Game opening changer. is that they run. Yeah. Big time. And I mean, the fact, you know, that scene with her driving away and her, her undead husband yeah. chasing her barefoot yeah. in his bloody pajamas and then just veering off as he sees another 
you know, this is no longer her husband. I mean, just in that single image is perfect. Yeah. And it it's is. interesting when you note that this movie was shot in chronological order. So wow. they started with that. You talk about a tone setter for the audience. That set the tone for the cast and crew. Like, here we go. Yeah. We're off and running. And I could see where that would be a, a good strategy to shoot it in chronological order like that. And also, this was the first movie to broadcast the first 10 minutes this opening. Uh, uncut on network TV. It was five days before its nationwide release as sort of an extended trailer. And that would hook me in. Yeah. You see that opening, like, yeah. whoa. Yeah. yeah, so that is our fuzzy math. Number six, top six, top five of our best openings in horror. As we move up to number five, one that is contentious among the two of us for reasons that we will get into from 1990, The Reflecting Skin. Quick, she's coming. This is the most gorgeous looking tonal shifting opening of a movie that I can even think of. It's this absolutely glorious, gorgeous wheat field with these cherubic little boys with chubby faces and sweetheart voices. And this little boy is carrying this giant frog. And he says, look at this wonderful frog. And it's like a it's like a Hallmark film done right. You just are so enamored of every second of it. And then they turn the frog over and they take a straw and blow it up so that it's this huge like burstable tick thing on its back and then they hide while this woman they don't like walks toward it and again the way that it shifts and what i think it does besides just being very surprising and visually incredibly interesting is that it as a lot of these do it sets the tone the entire film is is told from the point of view of this seven or eight year old boy Mm -hmm. and it, it it does a great job of understanding the sometimes brutal, sometimes innocent logic of a child and how a seven or eight year old could confuse comic book vampire stories with real stories of war with whatever weird thing is going on in his town at the same time. Uh, And that's what forms his narrative, which is not exactly the realistic narrative of what's happening in his small town. It's just what he thinks is happening in his small town. And I think that this utterly gorgeous you know, bucolic image that opens the film is is like we said about the last movie, the perfect way to set that stage. I give you that it does look great, especially the wheat. And director Philip Ridley had the wheat, he hand painted the wheat in the film. So to, they must have had to film it quickly because you know it was going to die right away <laughs> to, to get to get the look of it. And I, I give you that, especially as the kids are running through it. Yeah, it almost looks like parting waves, like water. Uh, it does look fantastic, and they and it. It's a funny, weird opening, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying I don't like it. I just don't like it that much. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of weird. And, and and to be fair, I don't like the film as much as you do, right. although I do like it. Because you, you hold it a little bit higher than I do. Uh, but I, I think, um, as you've pointed out before, one of the reasons I like it so well is because it's just very David Lynch. Mm-hmm. And as you've said before, I I prefer David. I like him better than you do. Yeah, on the, on the whole, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, the opening itself, it starts, you know, it's just a five-minute opening, mm-hmm. but it begins... Terrence Malick and ends David yeah. Gro- David Cronenberg. Yes. You know, so <laughs> yeah. it is. It's beautiful. I mean, it's just gold. And then he walks into frame, and they're like, "What is he holding? Is that a head? <laughs> is that you know a satchel? You know what?" And then you finally see that it's a frog, and then it just keeps going and going and going from there, and just ends in this kind of absurd, exploding 
bits and pieces into this woman's face. Yeah. I'm like, I did not see that coming. No, <laughs> no. Now, no, see right there, though, right? Malik and Cronenberg and Lynch all in one conversation. This is a movie people should see. Well, that's good territory. And we did show it a few we months did. back we uh, did. for Fright Club Live. So, yeah, that is our number five as we're into an actual countdown. Not fuzzy <laughs> math. So I know you had a different number five, Brandon. What were you looking at? Uh, my number five was the uh, the original Martyrs. That's a great one. Uh, that's a good opening. Um, could also be the maybe the most upsetting mm-hmm. opening of all time. Yeah. Uh, I know when I watched it for the first time, I wa- I wasn't even a bit prepared for what I was about to see. It's a really upsetting film. It's a very difficult film to watch. Oh, Actually, when yeah. we showed it, we we offered a martyr's merit badge. If you made it all the way through to the end, you got a, you got a merit it's badge a for one, coming. No doubt about it. And so I think that this opening prepares you for that. Even though, to be honest with you, thank God. You don't see this the whole time because the opening is really about the sort of torture and escape of a little girl. Um, And that's one of the reasons why it is such a gut punch to watch. So then the rest of the film follows this girl as she's as she's a young adult. So it's not nearly as in in a certain way horrifying to watch, although they match the horror of the opening by the time the movie is over. Oh, yeah, no doubt about that. The horror of the opening really sort of gives you the ammunition you need for the rest of the film to her just complete mental state or lack thereof. Right, right. For the rest of the film, you're like, oh, okay, this is that little girl. Right. This is what she went through. It sort of, it leaves a lot to the imagination, Mm -hmm. which for me works in, you know, a lot. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, you're more likely to come up with something that's more unsettling to you mm-hmm. than if the director decided to show you what it is. Sure. Then it's just what's unsettling to the director. Exactly. But but then also, I think for the audience, it prepares you. If you can't make it through this, don't watch this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because you, you got trouble ahead. Yeah. Uh, number five for Brandon is Martyrs, and that's solid. Moving up to number four on our list from just uh, four years ago now, 2014, It Follows. I love you. I know. I know. I just wanted you and mom to know how much I love you. Dad, I'm sorry I can be such a shit to you sometimes. I don't know why I do that. Just know that I love you, okay? really love you both and it was great while we were re-watching these openings to put this together i rewatched this opening yes i love it so much oh i know it's there's so many things going on at once you know immediately it's an homage to everything john carpenter traditional horror yes, yeah, so specifically john carpenter Halloween, especially, yeah but it also sets the hook for what's to come you know right. you're wondering okay what is she running from why why she won't accept anyone's help and then when it leads to her death which is pretty grisly oh no, it is you know, it's it's a sight like Ugh, you know before it goes back and then you get some backstory and find out what she was running from i love this opening yeah no it's amazing it, it, again it sets a hook in a way that um in a way i mean a lot of them they give you some backstory and they and then they set a tone for you i'm not sure this exactly sets a tone because the rest of the movie is more creeping you know and and you have this constant sort of feeling of of forward momentum because you are trying to get away from what's behind you so Mm -hmm. the whole movie is about running away from this this thing that never stops following you and so 
and and so which I don't think is the tone that the that the opening sets. But but one of the other things that the movie does is shows such great love. David David Robert Mitchell is the is a filmmaker. Such great love for the genre because not only yes. is he does he pick up a lot of ideas the entire time from John Carpenter, but also from like The Ring and from just I mean every really great subgenre of of horror over the, from the 80s and 90s but doesn't do it like in this sort of kitschy pastiche way i mean it really works beautifully in the way he weaves this whole thing together yeah so in that way it brings up a set of expectations but then it also brings up so many questions because yeah. by the end of the opening the girl has just she's she's just accepted her right. fate and she's just waiting like yeah why is she doing that? Right. You know, two minutes ago, she was running away. Right. Yeah. So basically, right, what it does is it lets you know that there's a mystery to unfold. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what I like so much about the opening of It Follows is it's also the most brutal part yeah. of the movie. It is. So you you completely know what this thing is capable of through the rest of the film. So you are, in a way, just as scared as these characters because you know what this thing can do to them once it gets its hands on them. That's a good point. Well, right, and and actually it's another piece of genius from the filmmaker because one of the reasons that the movie just keeps you on the edge of your seat is that you realize what this girl is up against before she does. And yes. so she's not, and the camera moves in circles and you're looking out the window to see what could it be. What, And then you know, it pans around <laughs> and you're like, it's that in the hospital gown. That shouldn't be there. And then it pans around and you're waiting, you're waiting. Is a hospital gown going to be closer? Oh my God, it is! You know, it's like, so it's just like that. This gives you... This opening sequence gives you insight, even though you're not 100% sure what happens, it gives you insight into what happened long before the main characters understand what they're up against. And so it helps you, it creates this sense of urgency in you, like you just are what could figure this out, get a move on, yeah, per, per, get to the lake. Per, perhaps it's that eight foot tall guy. Right. <laughs> he looks out of place. <laughs> and tidy whities So that's, uh, that's number four. Great opening. It follows. And number four on Brandon's list is one that we mentioned a little bit ago. Uh, this one's actually 28 weeks later. Oh, that's right. 20, that's a, yeah. Boy, they both have solid openings. Yeah, they 28 do. weeks later yeah. is a good one. What strikes me about 28 weeks later is the opening almost feels like it could be a short film right. in and of itself. Mm-hmm. It sets a tone. It gives you these cast of characters that you never end up meeting again through the rest of the film and sort of makes you care about them. It gives them personalities, gives them, you know, gives them motivations and it's just fucking awesome too. It yeah, is I, so good. I agree with you. It's one of those, it's such a, a lovely piece of genre filmmaking at, that the rest of the movie can never reach it Agreed. again. Absolutely. Um, and, and it's funny because, you know, we were, we kicked around 28 days later, which is a great opening, but the rest of the movie is better than the opening, which Absolutely. is in the end, one of the reasons why we didn't keep it. Yeah. Right. Because then uh, as memorable as it is, then the, the first proper scene where he's laid out on a hospital bed and he wakes up and then he walks through a completely abandoned London and doesn't know why that stays with you more than the original than the actual opening mm-hmm. does whereas 28 weeks later is the is the exact opposite that is such a brilliant tender horrifying opening that ends uh, just a, a bolt like uh, you that's know that's the thing it's so breathless by the yes. end when he's running uh, right. Robert Carlyle right. when he's running away you're just yeah it's so breathless and it, you're right it doesn't quite match that no after, it never it doesn't it. it doesn't ever come back to that plus uh, for me 28 weeks later has a more mean spirit oh, in the yeah. violence than mm-hmm. 28 days later did which again doesn't fit the incredible tenderness of the opening sequence but it is 
an amazing opening sequence. And, you know, Robert Carlyle's cardio going back to Zombieland. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no. Yeah. He, he's really pumping it. He is. <laughs> no doubt about it. So number four for Brandon is 28 weeks later. Moving up to number three on our list of the best openings in horror is actually the one that sits at top at number one on Brandon's. And that's the classic from The opening of Halloween, like the, the entirety of the rest of the movie, is just so brilliant in its simplicity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one long shot. It's not fancy. The, you know, you've got that famous score that opens up the film. <laughs> yeah. You know, you've got you know you've got your tropes of the slasher genre, the the, the man and the woman, you know, running upstairs to have their. You gotta get the boobs in. Gotta their get boob thirty-five shot. <laughs> second long lovemaking session. You know, you can time it. It's it's out there. But that's what I love so much. And that not only that, the simplicity, but the reveal at the end. You know, you think of so much that you know the history behind Halloween, but put yourself in nineteen seventy-eight. You know, with this killer coming through right. and coming down, the parents rip the mask off. Oh yeah, and it's a little boy, right? Little blonde-headed little boy. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, it's got the the iconic shot of through the eye holes in yes. the mask. Which is, again, one of the ones that we talked about having in number six is Mario Bava's Black Sunday. And at the beginning of that film, Barbara Steele is about to be put to death for being, depending on what dub you get, a vampire, a witch, a <laughs> Satanist. It doesn't, some combination of those things, it's hard to say. But they don't just kill her, they nail a mask, a Satan mask to her face. And the the reason that, the only reason that that, that, that whole scene is so, so memorable, besides the exquisite Barbara Steele, is that the camera follows from inside the mask. So it's like it's coming towards you with the eye holes, but then also the spikes that are about to be nailed onto your face. <laughs> Yikes. And and obviously this was a, a big inspiration to Carpenter as he made this one because that's, you know, you've got those eye holes, you are wearing the mask and it puts you in the, mm-hmm. in, instead of in, in well, really, Barbara Steele is the villain. So it puts you in the position, the point of view position of the villain in the movie, which is an interesting way to start a film. Yeah, and as Brandon alluded to, this has the shock value, I guess, of realizing that the killer was a little kid. You know, like you said, that's a big, oh, wow. Well, not a, which is, so so that's a fascinating and interesting way to, to start to tell the story. But also, it's an incredibly economical way to provide the whole backstory, right? The mm-hmm. whole origin story for this is in this one almost dialogue-free, except for this the creepy sort of Halloween chant of children's voices, which is always a great way always to... Always creepy. Always a great backdrop to any murder scene, you know, to set the entire thing up without ever explaining any of it. Yeah, and it, it might be worth it if you haven't. There's an alternate opening you can right. find on YouTube. It's a little bit different. The eye... The eye slits the eye holes are a little bit different and then there's more loomis there's more loomis it continues on more loomis (laughs) i require more loomis Uh, there's a loomis visit uh with the young michael at the sanitarium and a couple other things so there's tv cut yeah yeah you might check that out it's on youtube so that's our number three and brandon's number one as we move up to our number two and it's just from this year hopefully we're hoping this movie gets some serious oscar nomination 
consideration this year because it deserves it. It's get out. Okay. I just keep on walking, bro. Don't do nothing stupid. Just keep on. Fuck this. I'm about to go the other way. I can't. Not today. Not me. You know how they like to do motherfuckers out here, man. I'm gone. Well, it's good that we follow up Halloween talking about this because it's another one similar to the opening of It Follows where you see the opening to this movie and it brings up a lot of homages to horror, but specifically Halloween with that neighborhood. Oh, yeah. John Carpenter is all over this. Not the entire film, I don't think, but all over the opening. Um, and, And we've talked about this before because the whole film... One of the many genius things that Jordan Peele does in this movie is it takes your traditional vehicle through a film, which is through a horror film, which is the beautiful white female who is about to be victimized and then turns it on its head by instead inserting what traditionally in cinematic terms is the the least vulnerable possible character, which is a black man. Mm -hmm. And what he does with the opening sequence, first of all, set that tone perfectly, but then also points out. How incredibly realistic, like we all accept that a, a, a woman walking by herself at night is, especially if we were watching a horror movie, this is a victim. Right. You know, it, it, but to watch a man, a black man walking by himself at night through an affluent, probably white suburb, suddenly you're like, no, this anxiety is really believable. But then set that to that fucking song. Run, rabbit, run. Oh my God, that song is terrifying. Isn't it? It's such a, it's from the 1930s and it's such a perfect choice. And, you know, going back to Halloween, Jordan Peele has said in interviews that he specifically modeled it after Halloween because he called that, it's of it's a subversion of, quote, the perfect white neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the fact that the car that pulls up is a white car. Mm-hmm. And without being very overt about it he sets the tone of social commentary because first of all we don't know why he's being abducted yet but we know that this is you know quote walking while black Mm -hmm. through a white neighborhood is a very real danger and here we go and it it sets so many tones for just a a great great movie and it's it's so effective but you're right that song that song that's a push over the cliff for me it really is and again it's like like halloween it's so economical yeah you know it's one shot Mm -hmm. you know all panavision or panaglide and you're just following, you know, following this character as you walking through and the entire thing that happens to him happens in one continuous shot. Yeah. And it just, you know, without cutting away, it makes you feel as an audience member that you're right there with him, mm-hmm. that you're that you're afraid, you know, even if you're, a, you know, a 30 something white male who's not afraid of the, you know, the suburbs. Yeah, which is an amazing, I think, feat to be able to draw that kind of of empathy from any audience member, no matter who you are, because uh, because he doesn't shoot as as often does happen in horror films with the female victim they're often shot in a way that is titillating Mm -hmm. you know and and that makes it i mean that's that's it's a big complaint about horror is that you rarely are asked to empathize with the female victim usually you are empathizing with the the murderer but in this case wisely what he does is generate empathy for the victim which is an important element through the entire film well and you can't forget the little the talking to himself that the yeah. character does well he's so on the I, phone for a while and yeah. then he talks to himself yeah, yeah sort of self-soothing says, and yeah. Then he says like, oh no i, I know how they do they do uh, guys up in here yeah and then it's a little it's a nod to the fact that the sacrifices, you know, he's willing to whatever he's going to do. Right. No, nope, no. Nope. What's more important is I have to 
acknowledge that I am in serious danger yeah, yeah. here, no matter what innocent thing I'm doing, just living my life. And you get that through the little vocal asides, like you said, yeah. on the phone. And then once he decides, no, I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah. It's a chilling it is. And, and just such a great opening that uh, I'm glad we included this at number two. Uh, it's Get Out. And Brandon's number two is another one that we talked about a little bit earlier that didn't quite make ours, but it's a good one. Yeah, mine is uh, from 1996. It's the uh, the original Scream this is an opening I feel like is, is a little different from the rest because it's just so well written. Yeah, it and is. And you don't get that a lot in horror. You know, here and there sprinkled about, but it's just the dialogue just pops. Yeah. And it's before, you know, Dawson's Creek just made you want to vomit on everything, <laughs> Kevin Williamson. <laughs> but it just pops. I rewatched it this morning before coming in, and it's just amazing how not only well written, but well acted and well staged the entire thing is. I mean... If they had just made that as a short film, I'd have been like, okay, I'm happy. Oh, yeah. I don't well, need any more. And yeah. the biggest thing for me in this opening was the fact that Drew Barrymore gets killed. Yes. Because when you see her, you don't expect you don't that to expect happen. It. Nope. She's the big star. Yeah, there's then, no way you think that's going to happen. Right. It, it's one of those that, okay, now all expectations are out the window. You know, that, that's one of the many things it does right. Yeah. And then another thing, very economically, it sets up the entire film. You understand the whole backstory, you get the entire plot, you know, and, and they just do it, not by explaining it to you, but just showing it to you once. This is this is the story. This is what's going to happen now. Yes, yes. And and not only like the, the gore, because there is a fair amount of gore in the opening. I mean, two people get gutted, mm-hmm. but the tone yeah. that it sets. I mean, Scream is known for being jokey and, you know, and, and sort of, you know, on the nose. Meta, yeah. But it is. It's a fairly brutal movie. And know, not only 90s. that, not only that, but and and uh, and I think it might have been Jocelyn. It was either Jocelyn or Jill who pointed this out on Twitter. The fact that the parents come home, it's like you're so they're so close to saving their own daughter it, that that it's not just it isn't. It's not just funny and it's not just on the nose. It's really very sad and powerful in that they're so close. It is. You're right. The whole thing is is written and developed and directed with the integrity of an entire film unto itself. Mm-hmm. It's a short film unto itself. Now, and it leads very logically to the entire rest of the movie, which is a great movie. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it's an exquisite opening. It is. And that is Brandon's number two on uh, our list, or both our lists of best openings in horror movies. So before we move up any farther and get to our number one, which is actually Brandon's number three, our special guest today is Brandon Thomas. I uh, see you a lot at the Gateway Film Center in Columbus. You're part of Fright Club. You're part of Columbus Horror. But really quickly, what's your what, what drew you in, not only to movies, but specifically to horror movies? I think it was complete accident. You know, as a child, <clears throat> you know, I, I grew up in a small town. You know, we still had the mom-and-pop video stores, you know, on the weekends, my mom was off getting, you know, doing classes for her master's degree. So I was sort of left in the care of my dad who just sort of, hey, here's a couple bucks. I'll sit in the truck while you run inside and pick out whatever you want. And the horror genre boxes really spoke to me. I mean, everyone can remember <laughs> the, that great art on those boxes. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, yep. by the time I tell everyone, by the time I was seven or eight years old, I'd seen all the Friday the 13th sequels. <laughs> I'd seen all the Halloweens, the Child's Play. I was really big into the uh, into the series. And then those, those were my gateways into horror and sort of went from there. Mm-hmm. And just appreciation of of film as a medium in in general. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, you're able to do so much in the genre. And I I think even I was able to appreciate before I was able to articulate that. Mm -hmm. And so later, you know, I really love, especially like low budget, being able to see these hungry filmmakers with so little do so much. I mean, get out, you know, cost nothing. Yeah. Made a buttload of money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we thank you so much for joining in this discussion this week as we move on to our number one and the movie that was Brandon's number three. So both of us, a lot of love for the classic opening in Jaws from 1975. What's your name again? Chrissy. Where are we going? Swimming. 
think this is the film most people point to of creating the modern day blockbuster mm-hmm. uh, when it came out. And this, of course, the music is a whole nother animal. It's almost a whole nother character yes. in this movie. Yeah, it's it so perfect. But it sets the beginning. You've got, like you just talked about, the, the female, you know, the titillating female. I mean, you can't see her, but she is running naked. Although this fil- this this scene was filmed in the daytime, by the way. Mm. They, they darkened it later. Right, right, but, right. But, uh, yeah, and the unseen, I mean, you, you know what it is, but you can't see it, which is another one of the brilliant things Spielberg did. Less is more with the shark. And, of course, you don't see it yet. You just see what it's doing to her. And I think that that is so the poster for this movie, which, yeah. of course, is the is the shark coming up to this naked swimmer with long hair. So it's clearly Chrissy. Chrissy is her name. You know, and, and the fact that when the film you don't see it at all almost gives that that poster or the T-shirt that we have right. even more power. It's like, oh, my God, that shark is huge. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Chrissy is her name. And, of course, she runs out after they, they have uh, the, the kind of the bonfire party there to go swimming and her her date is falls down drunk, or right. he probably would have been a victim as well. Right, he right. just can't. He just can't make it. And to get that sound, once the 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 shark attacks, to get the sound, they had Susan Backlany was uh, is the actress's name. They had her kind of. They kind of did like a waterboarding thing. They positioned her head upturned in front of her microphone, and then poured water like over her face and down her throat. Oh my god! To get that gurgling sound, oh and it my is. God. You know, it's it's a mass of her screaming mm-hmm. and the thrashing, and then that like gurgling sound as a what you're seeing on the screen just adds to the whole horrific nature. Yeah, of it. Yeah, and then Bill Butler cinematography. So you go from the the shark's eye view, which you're going to get used to in the entire film, which is just brilliant, right? And then you come to you're about halfway above the water, halfway below the water. You just watch this poor woman being thrashed back and forth and back and forth and back and forth like she's inside some sort of a horrible carnival ride or something. And it's it's really so alarming. It's so effective. And it's worth noting that the actor that played her date, a guy named Jonathan Philly, this was his only movie. <laughs> he, he was discovered there in Martha's Vineyard where the movie was shot, but he became a successful production assistant. And like 30 years later, he worked with Spielberg on War of the Worlds as he was the head <laughs> production assistant. So he, you know, as he got it on a very legendary scene and it was one and done for him, but he still worked in the uh, in the movie business. It's an incredible opening. And we have to mention, well, before we do that, before we tell the story that we've told before, your thoughts about the opening of Jaws. I mean, what a scream. I mean, that's maybe one of the best screams in horror mm-hmm. history. I mean, just and going back a little bit to less is more, um, just being able to visualize in your own mind what's happening below that water. Yeah. This poor girl's body. Yeah. Is just to this day just terrifies me. Yeah. And just that scream that, you know, like you said, George, the gurgling. And by the way, I hope they got the government secrets from her. <laughs> um, it's just, I mean, it's so effective. Again, like, you know, several of these movies we've talked about, it's less is more. Mm-hmm. It's just so economical. And I, I don't know if, if that was the, if they shot it that way because the shark wasn't working again, right, like right. it never did. Or if that was Spielberg's plan for, from the very beginning, but it's so effective and it's just still incredibly works. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and as as I've mentioned before on this podcast, I was we were actually vacationing in you and your mom and brother. Yeah, in uh, it was actually a little town called New Bedford, Massachusetts, which is right Bedford. by Martha, New Bedford. Yeah, which is right by Martha's Vineyard, and we'd go over there, and we actually saw them filming this movie, not right up. Right up close where they were doing a shot, but we saw the big scaffold out on the water of what they were doing, and we saw people walking around the town in Jaws t-shirts, and we had known about the the best-selling book, so we saw it 
kind of from afar being filmed. But the cooler story is after the opening of this movie, of course, you see they, they find Chrissy, the swimmer's remains on the beach. And there's a connection for us with that arm they pull up. That's right. So uh, my twin sister, Joy, lives in Boston and she worked for a long time with a good friend of hers named Andrea Saunders, who's the hand. She's the she hand. plays the hand. And so uh, when we were when the first time we visited Joy in Boston, she worked at an art gallery with Andrea and she had a photo framed there in her office. She's in sort of a pit in the sand. Her hand is sticking out. And you can see Spielberg in the distance just laughing his ass off while she's screaming because they didn't tell her they were going to put crabs on her hands. Right. So it's, they're taking the shot. She's trying to, but she's not looking it's at a it. Great because picture. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's, it's the coolest and story. And the other thing, they had to pour, I guess they had to, for those crabs to move around like they did, they had to pour hot coffee on them oh. to get them to move around. Ouch. Yeah. That's a lot to go through for one uncredited, just Steven Spielberg shot of your own hand. Exactly. Yeah. But that, that, that's almost <laughs> forever, folks. <laughs> It's a very cool story. And yeah, I think it probably was what you're talking about, Brandon. It probably was more accident than design. The, the less is more because they did, from what I've read, have so much problem yeah, with that, that mechanical Bruce? shark. But boy, does it work. Yeah, Bruce the shark. But boy, does it work because you have an opening like this and then it takes you so long to actually see the thing to get a good. The first time you get a good look at, of course, the teeth is when come on and chum some of this shit. And then mm-hmm. everybody just lost it. Right. In right. The movie theaters. So it's a perfect setup to the entire thing. Mm-hmm. And, and a, again, you and know a, what the shark is capable of mm-hmm. right. from that from the get go. You know what this thing can do. Right. Exactly right. So that is our number one on our list of best openings in horror. But let us know what you think. Did we get it wrong or which one of these that we talked about or maybe didn't talk about should have been on our list? Easiest way to get a hold of us and keep the conversation going is on Twitter. And that is at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. And we're Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook and on Instagram. And the main website for our all our written reviews and a bunch of fun stuff is madwolf.com. And Brandon, where can we find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Facebook. I'm all over the place there. I, I don't do a lot. So, uh, And you can also find me on Twitter at Brandon Cliff. Well, it's a good conversation. We thank you for everything you brought to it, Brandon. Always thank always you. appreciate Thanks having you having around me. at Fright Club and talking about the movies, horror movies, and, and other types. And we already mentioned what's coming up at our next Fright Club Live. We've got Sex and Death and Trouble Every Day. And then after that, what's on the horizon for more discussions? Well, this Tuesday comes the Oscar nominations. And so, as is always the case, immediately after that, we do a Skeletons in the Closet where we poke fun at Oscar nominees, early bad horror movies. Because they almost all have them. Yes, they do. And well, so Francis McNorman definitely has one. Sally Hawkins has one. Sam Sam Rockwell. Rockwell. So, I mean, we've already got, yeah. It's going to be a pretty fun broadcast. And actually, uh, senior Aussie correspondent Corey Metcalf is going to join us for that. All right. Good stuff. And of course, the obvious question after this podcast, since we're doing best openings, well, what about best endings? We got that on the horizon. We do. We do. We're going to tackle that in a couple of months. And actually, the more I think about it, there are a couple of movies that we talked about today that are already in the long list. Yeah. So (laughs) a lot of them open and close well. So we'll have to whittle (laughs) that down. And I'm sure we'll throw it out on Twitter as well for your ideas about best, uh, best closings. Best finales in horror. And also, it'll warm your heart to know we're already arguing about what song to use. <laughs> That's right, so, we are. <laughs> the struggle continues. <laughs> Brandon Thomas, thank you so much. Thanks, George. Thanks, Hope. Thank Enjoyed you. this. And until next time, I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Stay frightful, my friends. Yeah. Right on cue. Yeah.